Chapter 10 of the Planet Mappers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jude Summers. The Planet Mappers by Edward Everett Evans. Chapter 10. With the various members of the Carver family busy with their studies and chores, it did not seem long before they came close to Planet Two, and John laid down his reel books to begin preparing for the landing. He had started down through the atmosphere when Jack suddenly roused. "'Why don't we circle around a bit and look for our town site from the air?' "'I was going to,' John said with a disarming grin. "'Just wanted to get close enough to see well before I called you in to help me decide.' At about five miles above the surface he leveled off and began circumnavigating the globe. He headed in the direction which, he remembered from their previous visit, would soonest bring them near the great ocean, but zigzagged from north to south as they proceeded eastward. Watch for rivers, he said, a fairly large one that empties into the sea. They were about halfway between the North Pole and the equator, as they had already decided the climate in that latitude would probably be the most suitably average. In a few minutes of traveling, they saw ahead a plane that looked to be just what they wanted. Quickly, John maneuvered the ship downward and soon landed. They were just a few miles from the edge of the great ocean, at the mouth of a large river of considerable width and length, and not far from an extensive forest to the south, and a range of considerable mountains to the west. "'Hope the soil here is good,' John commented, as he locked the controls in neutral. "'Everything else seems perfect.' "'The speck annal shows minerals fairly close in those hills to the west,' Jack was eagerly peering from the port. "'I know. That's why I chose this spot. Nice flat land here. Good river, close to the ocean, mountains less than a hundred miles away, and not too high. Ideal place, I'd say.' "'That it is, that it is. Going out today?' Why not? Nearly four hours till sundown. We can start planning today, then get busy in the morning. Their mother came in just then. I thought it felt like we had landed. What are you going to do here? She glanced out of the port. We have to lay out a town site, John answered, and at her astonished look he explained. She shook her head admiringly and with surprise. You boys continually amaze me. You seem able to do anything. John shrugged that off. When a thing has to be done, a fellow usually can figure out some way of doing it. Besides, Jack grinned, we're like those old chaps on Terra who used to say, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible takes a little longer. They left her then and hurried out of the ship. Even though they felt there could be no possible danger here, they could see for miles in every direction, and noticed nothing moving. They were wise enough from experience to carry their rifles slung across their backs, and wore bandoliers of ammunition. In addition, both carried tools and what equipment they felt might be needed. Once outside, they ran first to the river and tested the water. It was fresh and clear, and they knew this would be a good source of water for their proposed city until men might pollute it with their garbage and wastes. "'Got your pedometer?' 
Jack asked. Sure, right here in my coverall pocket. Why? I suggest this would be a good place for the center of the town's north side. Yes, here by the river bank would... I'll go east, and you go west a half mile each. Then we'll set our corner stakes. Then we'll both walk south a mile and set those, and have the four corners done. Sometimes, Owl, I have to give you credit for having brains. Wish I could say the same about you. Jack reached out and gave his brother a friendly shove. Get going, Stoop, and when we start south, be sure you keep your line straight. Look who's yelping. Mine'll be as plumb as yours, probably more so, because I'm a better plumber than you are. John started his pacing, while Jack went in the opposite direction after a pretended at John's horrible pun. When they returned to the ship, as the sun was going down, they felt they had made a good beginning. But as they went into the control room to talk alone, away from their mother's hearing, lest they worry her, they were not too cheerful. "'You know anything about surveying?' Jack slumped into a seat. "'Nope, not a sardine's worth.' John paced forth and back in the little room. "'That's what has me worried. Hope we're going to place those other marking stakes in exactly the right spots. Guess we'll have to measure them some other way.' "'How?' "'Darned if I know. You're the mechanically-minded one. I thought you could figure it out.' John continued his pacing, his young forehead creased with thought. Finally, just as their mother called them to dinner, he looked up excitedly. "'Hey, it'll be easy after all.' "'How?' Jack was as excited as his brother as they went into the living quarters and sat down at the table. "'A light plastic line that won't stretch, exactly measured, and fastened to two metal pin stakes. We'll make two sets and—I get it, one the length of the blocks and the other the width of the streets. Right. Stick a pin in the ground, measure out a line, then plant one of our regular stakes. Then give a yank, pull the pin out, and haul it in. Then use the other set to measure the street. Yes, just keep going. Hey, I believe with that system we could each work alone, so I'll make two sets. Jack thought all this over swiftly for several minutes, working fork and knife and jaws meanwhile. Finally, between mouthfuls, he said slowly, I can't see a flaw in it, as long as we're mighty careful. Do you think it'll pass inspection? If we take our time and make sure we're right, I don't see why not. What are you boys talking about now? Their mother set a refilled dish of steaming chlorella stew on the table and resumed her own seat. They explained and told her the necessity of what they had to do in order to prove up their father's claim on this system when they returned to Terra and appeared before the colonial board with their proofs of prime discovery. The worried look came back into her eyes. I always understood that surveying was a mighty exact profession. Do you really think you can measure it exactly enough to take the place of a regular survey? I think we can make it close enough so when Pop wakes up and shows us how to do the final survey with the instruments, we can save a lot of time, at least, John assured her. That's what we're thinking and planning about now. You see, Mother, Jack broke in, if we have the stakes all set, all we have to do is make the sights on each other, after Father teaches us how to use the transmit. 
Then, if we should be off anywhere, we can fix them easily. Yes, it'll cut down the time a lot, John went on. And now we're so near done, I want to get everything finished so we can go back to Terra immediate. Why, getting homesick? his mother teased. Not so much that, but we want to get our claim before the board. Anything can happen when such distances and times are concerned. And we just don't want anything to spoil father's chances of having this valuable claim verified. I see. She smiled now in relief, and again her eyes showed the pride she felt in her two manly boys, who were daily proving themselves more than equal to the unusual situations in which they found themselves. "'Your father woke up again while you were out, and—' "'He did?' It was a duet of happy excitement. "'And, while he still didn't seem to realize what had happened, "'he acted even more as though he recognized me. "'He let me feed him some broth, "'and then went back to sleep again very contentedly. "'Golly, that's great!' John reached out and patted her hand. The three chatted together with more freedom and animation than they had known since the terrible accident first occurred. It seemed as though their worst troubles were over. For Tad Carver was so reliable, so confident in himself, so trust-inspiring, even beyond their natural love for him, that they felt everything would just have to work out right, once he was again in command. As soon as they had finished eating, the boys hurried to the storeroom and found some metal rods. "'Cut me four lengths about fifteen inches each,' John ordered as he went to the workbench. He cleared a space, then began getting the tools he wanted and hooking up the induction furnace. "'You'll need eight for two full sets, won't you?' "'I got to thinking we'd better make only one set for now. If it works out all okay, then we can make the other.' By the time Jack had the pieces cut, John was ready to heat one end of each in the furnace, then bend it into a small eye. The other end he sharpened on the emery wheel. "'Now, measure out pieces of that plastic rope,' he ordered, pointing to a reel of a small diameter but very strong line. "'Figure about six inches extra on each. "'Look, chum, you tend to your job and give me credit for brains enough to know that much.' Jack's tone was almost cross, for sometimes this younger brother got on his nerves, since John did occasionally get quite bossy. But the elder quickly subdued that feeling, helped by the surprised and somewhat hurt look in John's eyes. He knew so well that John was merely trying, as he himself was learning to do, to see that neither made any mistakes in this important work they were attempting to do in their father's absence. Father was always cautioning them to take pains with whatever they were doing, and they usually accepted his warning and advice, as they did their mothers, without any more grumbling than boys ordinarily make about such fussing. But now each of them, and both of them together, had to be, and did try to be, extra painstaking in all the things their father would have cautioned them about, and they checked and rechecked each other constantly. So Jack said nothing more, and quietly helped John complete the stakes and line sets. After all, he admitted honestly, there were undoubtedly times when he got just as bossy as John did. Soon the two sets of pins and line were done. Each of the boys measured each once, 
twice, to make doubly sure their work was right. Then they cut up and sharpened a number of wooden stakes from some inch-by-inch inch strips they found in the storeroom. The next morning they started out early. Each carried a bundle of the marking sticks, and John had a small sledge in one hand. In addition, they had their rifles slung across their backs. Working together to begin with, John said at breakfast, we can start the eastward leg from the southwest corner and run it a ways, then come back and start the northward one from this same corner. Yes, if we get that first corner square and right, there's less chance of the other three being wrong. They'll more or less check themselves. They soon found they could work at quite a swift pace, and at lunchtime John cried, At this rate we'll have time to go back and recheck everything, and still get done within our two weeks. Yes, if we don't run into any trouble, this seems to be working out fine. Much better than I'd have given you credit for being able to figure out, chubby. Catfish to you, brother, John grinned. Hey, that reminds me. I want to see if that river's got any fish in it, and no— He caught himself and stopped, but Jack knew what he meant. Their mothers still didn't know about that quicksand John had been almost trapped in, and they didn't want her to learn of it. "'I suppose it would be worth knowing,' Jack hastened to say, almost as if interrupting. "'For once your eternal love of fishing will have its good points, as well as getting us fresh food. What about the ocean?' "'I'll try that, too, if I have time. Surf fishing won't tell us much about the deeper sea.' but I haven't any heavy tackle for anything very big, if we happen to run into it. But probably, close to shore like I'll have to fish, we wouldn't catch anything my lines and hooks won't handle. If you can handle them, Jack said with a grin. Don't you worry about me, John retorted. I can pull in anything I can get my hook on. Except a sunken ship, Jack jibed, and John's face grew red. That incident when he and his father had been fishing off the coast of Southern California, back in Terra's Pacific Ocean, was still a tender subject with him. He had had to cut his line that time, because they could not loosen his hooks, and he had lost a favorite spinner and leader, and half his best line. That first week passed uneventfully. The boys worked hard, from shortly after sunup to almost sundown. So hard, in fact, that their mother finally protested after noticing that they were so weary that they slumped in their chairs at the table and could hardly eat each evening when they returned to the ship. Now you boys listen to your mother, she commanded one night at dinner. I'm just as anxious to get back to earth as you are, but there's no sense killing yourself to save a day or two. From now on, you are to start an hour later and quit an hour earlier. Jack managed a weak grin. "'Guess you're right, mother. But we are coming along fine. Sure, we've almost completed outlining the site. We have to take tomorrow off anyway to go to the forest out there and cut some more stakes,' John added. "'It'll make a nice vacation. I'm really fed up with so much sameness of hard work. Yes, it's been a steady grind, no fooling, but we wanted to get it done as quick as we can, so Pop can check it.' for their father had been waking up several times every day, their mother reported. True, he had only been conscious for short periods, and was still too weak to be bothered with any of their problems. But, she told the boys, 
he was able to eat something each time he awoke, and his mind was clear again. She was preparing easily eaten and digested foods that would bring back his strength quickly. Jack asked anxiously whether his father had mentioned how the leg felt, and Mrs. Carver told him, He says it doesn't pain any, although sometimes it itches beneath the cast. Later on, just as they were finishing eating, Jack suggested, Take your tackle along tomorrow, Chubby, and we'll chop where the woods meet the river. Why, tanks, pal, you're a good kid. John made a fake pass at his brother, who jumped up from the table and yanked the other one's chair backward, starting a small scuffle, which their mother wisely did not try to stop, knowing that, tired as they were, it would last only a few seconds, and would be good for them. When the boys returned from their expedition the next night, with arms and backs loaded with bundles of steaks, and John's creel well filled with two's fish things, she met them anxiously at the lock door. "'Did you boys hear or see the ship that passed over us this morning?' "'Ship? No, we didn't see, nor hear a thing. Sure it was a ship?' "'No, I didn't see it either. I thought I heard one, and ran to look out, but couldn't locate anything. Maybe it was just my imagination.' "'Spaceship or airship?' John asked. "'I couldn't tell you that either, except that if I did really hear one, it must have been a spaceship to disappear so quickly. "'Unless it was a fast jet. They're just as hard to spot.' They discussed the affair for some time, but could come to no conclusions. If it was a ship, why hadn't it stopped or signaled? And if it wasn't one, what had she heard? Or had she actually heard anything?' Two evenings later, the two boys had completed outlining their city site, and were just climbing into the star rover when they heard their mother's voice. "'That you, boys? Come in here! Hurry!' At the urgency in her voice, they ran quickly, and found her sitting at the side of their father's bunk. As they got closer, they saw his head turn toward them, and recognition in the wide-open eyes. "'Hello, fellows!' His voice was weak, but happy. "'Father! Oh, Pop, you're awake at last!' The two almost fought to be closest to him, but their mother moved a little and both sank to their haunches beside the bunk, each with one of their father's somewhat emaciated hands in theirs. "'Your mother tells me I've been sick quite a long time, and that you chaps have been carrying on. I'm grateful and proud.' "'You should see the way Mum has caught on to doing things,' John said quickly. She does almost all our photographing now. And John has developed into a real astrogator, Jack said. Yes, Pop, but you wouldn't be as well as you are today if it hadn't been for Owl knowing how to set your leg and make a cast for it, and giving you the proper medicines and intravenous feedings. John turned to smile at his brother, who grew red in the face, and tried to stop the compliments, but the younger boy rushed on. He's really a whiz as a doctor, knew exactly what to do for you. How's your leg feel? Fine, thanks to you, Jack. Oh, it wasn't so much, and I didn't know. I had to study a lot to find out. Anyway, I'm still alive, and that shows you did a fine job. Mr. Carver lifted a weak hand to caress his elder son's face. Then he turned to John. I've had fine reports of you too, son. Your mother says. Yes, if anyone deserves praise around here, it's John. Jack broke in. 
He has done all the piloting and figuring courses, and he even invented a one-man control so he can land and take off without all the trouble and preciseness needed before. Why, he— Nix, Owl! John was the one now to be embarrassed. That can wait until Pop's stronger. The main thing is to report now, so he can tell us what to do next. Where are we? And what has been done so far? Mr. Carver asked. Your mother hasn't, or wouldn't, tell me, except that we've reached the new system and are landed on one of the worlds there. We're on planet two, and we're laying out the city that the board requires. This sun has five planets, and two and three are perfectly habitable for humans, but no natives above animal level, Jack began. There are seven moons, one at two, two at three, and four at four, John took up the tale. We've visited all the planets and have set out the automatic signal senders, with tapes giving you credit for the prime discovery. They named the sun Carveria after you, Mr. C. His wife leaned forward, eyes shining with pride, and an arm across the shoulders of each of the boys. They named the planets after one of us, each, and the fifth one after the ship, and we've given names to the moons, too. This world will be swell for people who like it warm, and three will be just as good for those who prefer colder weather. Both are a lot like Terra at different seasons and sections, and both are rich in soil, water, forests, metals, and— "'And we discovered a cache of that new fuel metal that you thought you saw in the spectroscope,' John broke in, his voice bubbling with eagerness. "'Right here on two. Not a mine or a vein, understand, but a cache in a metal box buried in the sand.' Must have been some people a long, long time ago, because from the sand drifted inside the box, it apparently hadn't been touched for thousands of years. And it showed up on five. But it's guarded by some kind of sentient flames, Jack burst in. His father's face lighted up. Have you tried it yet? he asked John. No. The boy's face showed disappointment. Mum wouldn't let me take any chances when I first wanted to, but now I'm glad. It's very highly radioactive still, in spite of who knows how many half-life deteriorations. It might have blown us higher than up. Maybe, though, when you get better, we can study— If we haven't got a small lead box, you ought to be able to make one, his father broke in. You could probably handle a small quantity of it that way, to bring it in here so we can study it. Maybe, though, as an afterthought, if it's that strong— You'd better wait for me to help before trying any of it in the generators. It's in little cubes, a bit smaller than our copper pellets. That's why I'm so sure it's a fuel, and that it was put here by some sort of people who had advanced space travel a long, long time ago. John was still excited. We figure all we have to do is finish laying out the town here, and then we can start back for Terra and put your claim before the Colonial Board, John said. Of course, we all hoped and expected you'd be well enough to check what we've done, but we tried to follow all the items in the papers the board gave us, Jack added seriously. And now you're well, we can make sure— Your father is far from well yet, their mother broke in, her voice imperative. We're all so happy he's awake at last, but I can see he's very weak, and all this excitement has been almost too much for him. You boys say good night to him now and then run off and eat your dinner, and let him sleep. Tomorrow evening you can finish your report. Reluctantly, the boys obeyed, 
and went into their living quarters and to the table. "'Golly, I should think Pop'd want to hear all about it now.' John frowned with disappointment. "'He does. Don't you worry.' Jack tried to cheer him up. "'I should have watched him more closely to see we didn't excite or overtire him, but I was just as happy and eager as you were. He'll be stronger after another good long sleep, but we've got to be careful not to expect too much of him for some time yet.' "'Yes, I know you're right.' Then John's face lighted with relief. "'But it's sure swell to have him awake so we can talk to him, and he can take charge of things again. You did a grand job, Owl, bringing him through.' "'That's another thing, you big bum. You go handing out praise like that again, I'll bust you one.' "'Oh, yeah, and who was the parrotfish talking up so big the few little things I did?' Jack came over and threw his arm across the shoulders of his taller but younger brother. Both of us were so carried away by our enthusiasm, we forgot to belittle each other, he said sagely. Maybe we do sort of like each other, after all. John pushed him away with rough tenderness, but his eyes were suspiciously moist. His words, though, were an attempted snort as he picked up his knife and fork. What do you want, the next waltz? End of chapter 10